there's some social media channels out there that are built for selling. There's commerce tools built in. And then there are social media platforms that are not built for selling. Welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we discuss meaningful ways to get better results with your author business. It is 5.45 on Monday morning. I normally release these shows at 6 a.m. on Monday morning. Typically, I will record the intros on Sunday, but yesterday was Mother's Day, so was all about spending time with my wife and doing the things that she wanted to do. So I got up early this morning to wrap this up and belated happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. I hope you you had a wonderful day and, and were able to spend time with your loved ones. The focus of today's show is social media marketing for authors. And that's not social media, but social media marketing. There's an important distinction between the two, and it's one that I didn't really fully understand until speaking with today's guest, Chris Syme. Chris is the author of Smart Social Media for Authors. She's also a principal of C.K. Syme Media Group in Montana, and she has 25-plus years of experience in marketing communications. Among other things, Chris's company helps self-published authors and small publishing houses use social media strategically to broaden platforms and sell more books. But before we get to today's interview, I'd like to give you a fairly rare update on my writing progress. It was a little over a year ago that I was really struggling uh, to complete something that I'd been working on for way too long. You know, those manuscripts that you just spend way too much time on. And, and I was talking to uh, an author friend, Logan Keyes, and Logan said, you know, just sit down and write something completely different. It'll, it'll be good for you. So I took her advice to heart. And the next morning I sat down and started writing. I had nothing in mind uh, for what I was going to write, other than it was going to be completely different than what I'd been writing. The protagonist would be a female rather than a male. The setting would be different. It, it was just as, as different as I could possibly make it. And I started writing just with a title. I, I came up with a title. I think that's a Dean Wesley Smith trick, where you just come up with a title and then start writing, which is what I did. And I, I expected to spend a day or two writing this story and then go back to what I'd been working on. But three months later, I wound up with essentially what I thought was a pretty good story. It was a completed manuscript. The story was pretty good. At least the bones were good. But the character, this uh, female protagonist that I started with, uh, evolved so dramatically over the course of the novel that I realized that I was in for a, a pretty significant rewrite just to get the character right. So rather than just digging right back into that, I thought, you know, I'm just going to put her in some different situations and see what happens. So I decided to write a few short stories, and uh, a few at the time I thought might be two so I, I, I got started with that using basically the same technique that I had used before, just coming up with a title and then beginning to write. And over the course of those four short stories, I really began to understand this character, uh, Reno Hart. And I loved her. So by the end of the four short stories, I knew who she was, and I was able to go in and, and start reworking the manuscript. 
And then another friend, when I described this process, said, hey, you should just publish those short stories. I'm like, well, you know, I just wrote them. I, I haven't done any revisions. I haven't done anything. But I took that advice to heart as well. So I went in and revised the stories, had them edited, and I'm publishing them. They actually went live yesterday. The title of this collection of four short stories is Four Seasons of Reno Heart, and that's four spelled out. So Four Seasons of Reno Heart. So that's a long-winded way of me getting to an ask. And that ask is that if you're a regular listener to this show and you'd like to say thanks for what I've delivered over the past 77 episodes, picking up a copy of Four Seasons of Reno Heart at Amazon would be a great way of doing that. And hey, since today's show is all about social media marketing for authors, I'd love it if you'd share Four Seasons of Reno Heart on your favorite social media platform and tag me so I can thank you. Then I hope you'll read Four Seasons of Reno Heart and let me know what you think. And if you enjoy it, I would love it if you'd write a review on Amazon. I'll have a link to the book as well as everything else we talk about on today's episode in the show notes, which you'll find at theauthorbiz.com. All right, enough about me. As always, thanks so much for listening, and here is today's show. Chris Syme, welcome to The Author Biz. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I have been a fan of your blog for so long, and you know, I'm, I'm so glad that, that we finally connected to do this. But you write such amazing business-oriented articles for authors that uh, I, I really would recommend that people subscribe to your blog, and we'll certainly link to that in the show notes. But I just want you to know that I've been a longtime fan of, of what you're doing, and I'm thrilled to have you here on the show. Oh, great to hear that. I'm glad that what I'm writing is doing something for somebody. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk about some of that today. But for, for listeners, a quick background on you. You are the author of Smart Social Media for Authors, which was published last year. And you've spent 25 years in the world of marketing communications. So you're sort of an expert in what we're talking about today, which is getting the word out about ourselves and our work through social media and other social components. Well, I've been in marketing a long time, but I was always drawn to social media and, and online marketing right from the get-go back in the 2000s when it first came out. So I love I loved change. <laughs> I like a challenge. And so I think that if those two things are in your wheelhouse, then social media is a great place to be. Yeah, loving change is a hard thing for all of us to do right now, but it's something that we have to do, isn't it? Yes, change is inevitable. Um, I used to have a sign over my desk in a, in a job one year that said, if you're looking for a place where there's no change, then go to the pop machine. You know, it's, <laughs> things are just always changing in marketing. The principles and the bedrock stuff is still the same as it was when I first started, but, mm -hmm. the, but the tactics are different. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the principles of building an author platform. And, and you know, we're just going to, just brush over this, but in, in general, I think we all know what an author platform is, but how big a part should social media play as we're putting together a solid author platform? 
Well, that's a great question. I think that there's a lot of opinions about that, but let me give you the business slash marketing view on that. And that is everybody has to have online marketing as a part of their platform. Um, I love Michael Hyatt's book, mm-hmm. uh, Platform. It, it, it laid this all out very well, talking about the different pieces of an author's platform. There certainly are offline pieces and personal appearance pieces, but there but social media and online marketing is the really the centerpiece of being able to sell your books online. And I think that, you know, runs the gamut from everything from your author Amazon page to your website to your email list to social media. It's all kind of in one big bucket. So I don't like to separate out social media separate, you know, necessarily because I think they're all very much interconnected and should be. But it's a pretty big piece. Mm -hmm. Certainly, you know, I hear it all the time and I agree with with the statement that you can sell books without social media. My my comeback to that always is, yeah, but just think of how many more you could sell if you were taking advantage. It, you're right. You know, for for most of us, we a, a part of our platform is not that end cap in the bookstore in the airport. So, you know, we need we need better ways of, of reaching people if, if we don't have that opportunity. All right, now I, this is true confession time for me. I am I consider myself uh, as, as a sports person, I know you were a sports information director for yes. uh, for a while. And as a sports person, I'm fairly athletic, but I I like to think of myself as the worst golfer in Naples, Florida, which is <laughs> sort of a golfing capital of the world. I'm just terrible, and I feel the same way about my use of social media. I I know how it works. I know how it all plays together. I understand how it should work. And I understand that it shouldn't take as much time as I'm spending on it and that I should be far more consistent in my use of it. What I find myself doing is getting interested for a week or two and then realizing how far behind I'm getting on the actual important work that I should be doing. So then I focus on that and ignore social media, and then I'm back doing social media again. It's just this roller coaster ride. There's no consistency to what I'm doing. Um, and I don't think I'm alone with this. So uh, w- would you say that I'm not doing this the right way? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let me see. Be kind. I, there's, there's a lot of things that I could pick out there, Steve. But I think the biggest thing we need to remember is that social media is a marketing tactic or strategy. It's not what I do when I feel good and I want to go online and connect with people. It, I think... As authors, we need to approach it as a business function. It's it's part. It's something that we calendar in, and we don't get lost when we're there. We if I've got if I've got it on my calendar to spend an hour a day catching up on all my marketing, doing all my marketing, getting ready for my next campaign, whatever. I don't sit there at the computer for three hours and get lost in Facebook. You know, I do it. I go on. And I think, you know, in my in my class, in one of my classes, I talk a lot about energy management as opposed to time management, because I think a lot of authors take on social media when they think they have spare time and they really feel like they got the time to tackle it. But it really should be an energy function. Like you should be thinking of it as the same way as you tackle your writing. Just it's it's difficult because what we talked about earlier, you know, it's always changing and there are things you have to learn. People get frustrated. I can feel your frustration because it's frustrating for me because I have to keep up on all this stuff too. So I think 
the biggest temptation that authors have, Steve, is to market above their skill level. And when that happens, that's when you get into trouble. If you stay, so we talk about this whole thing about platforms. When I teach platform building in my course, I talk about the first thing you need to understand is what level are you at in your author journey? If you're, and I've got it, we've got level one, two, and three, and we, you know, go into all these explanations and stuff. But the bottom line is if you're a level one author, if that's where your platform is, you don't use level three marketing tactics well, because you're not there yet. I'm confused. So just define <laughs> levels one, two, and three, if you would. Well, basically, real in a nutshell, mm-hmm. it has to do with three things. And these are not concrete rules. So I don't want you all to start you know, emailing me and yelling at me <laughs> saying, oh, that's really stupid. But I, what I did was I put together a group of indie authors in a focus group, and we, we hashed this out. And we came up with number of books published – um, number of years in the business, and also amount of sales that you're currently gleaning from your book sales. Okay. It has nothing to do with traditional or, or self or anything. And basically, a level one author, in a nutshell, is somebody who's making probably between zero and, and 200, 300 bucks a month um, on sales. They have less than three or four books done, they don't have a series completed yet. And then level two is the next levels. They have at least a series and have a start or have published another book in the next series. Um, sales accordingly. Level three authors. Uh, and this is fiction only. Nonfiction has a whole different level um, uh, platform definition. Level three authors are people who have two or more series out and they are close to or making a living at their writing. Um, and so when we see those proper skill levels that go along with each one of those um, levels of platform levels. There are also marketing tactics that go along with each one of those levels. For instance, let's say you're a level one author. You have two or less books out. You really need to be concentrating on those strategies that are organic because you're not really making enough money yet to justify spending a whole wad of dollars, let's say, on Facebook ads. And not only that, but you don't have anything to give away yet. Really? I mean, you could do some creative things like audio excerpts or, you know, you know, things like that that you could give away to entice people to sign up for your email list. But you're not established enough to be using some of those higher level marketing tactics that seem to be so popular now um, among authors online. And they're, and they're the things that we see online all the time. And so, I mean, you, what you're making is, is, a, is a really good point because I see people all the time that have one book out. And they run through the gamut of marketing tactics that they see online. Every everything from I'm going to price it up here, and then I'm going to price it down here, and then I'm going to offer it for free, and then you know I'm going to do the next thing that I've seen somebody teach a class on online. And in reality, probably what they should be doing is working on that second book in the series, and just as as you're describing, working on some simple marketing plans. Well, you always need to be writing. There's absolutely no excuse for not spending the bulk of your time every day that you 
that you devote mm-hmm. to your business writing. And and I deal with a lot of kind of I call them mid list indies. They're probably that level two author. A lot of them still have other day jobs, <laughs> and so they're or part time jobs, and they're struggling with trying to get there. The difference is is I work mostly with authors whose goal is to be a full time business person as an author. They want to make a living writing. They're not the people that say, oh, I just have this book in me that I got to write. And then they write it. Then they wring their hands for years trying to figure out if they can get a traditional deal or whether they should self-publish. I, I gravitate more towards the people that want to make author being an author a business and they want to get there as quickly as they can and most efficiently. And um, in my years in marketing have taught me that whether it's product development, and you know this because you were in tech for a lot of years, you don't start out at level three. You start out at level one, but level three's always got to be your where you want to go. And so if you're procrastinating about being an author, I there's a lot of things that you can do to build your platform, but there's a big difference, Steve, I've found between authors that want to be make a full-time business out of being a writer and authors that are just kind of dabbling around hobbyist sort of writers so in your experience i'm i'm, I'm captivated by these three different levels and I, I love the way you break them down in your experience for someone who's serious about what they're doing how long how long does it take to go from a level one to a level three for most people and, and let's not talk about those exceptional people that are able to write a book in three weeks uh let, let's talk about the average the average author well, let's use right now as an example because there are some new um, stra- strategies, if you will, for mm-hmm. how people can jump levels quickly. Um, one of them is uh, the biggest thing now in the, in the indie world is write a whole series right. before you release anything and then release them all at the same time. That, that jumps you right up there to level two already if you do it correctly, mm-hmm. and your books are good. This is the kind of the elephant in the room, Steve, that we hardly ever talk about, <laughs> right. and that's, is your book any good? <laughs> you know, Are people going <laughs> to want to buy your second one? Yes. That's always my question. Uh, great you got this first book written, but is it the quality that will want people to make, want to make people buy your second one? Because all the marketing in the world isn't going to help you sell a crappy book. It'll get you discovery. It'll get you a burst of sales at the beginning. But if there's no word of mouth and movement and all that anyway. But I think the average in this day and age, I think it's going to take authors that are very serious about making a living as a writer a couple years at least, maybe three. Um, Because the one thing that you'll know by then is you'll know whether or not you can do it. Because you'll start to see the traction from the books that you've written. Um, I worked with an author not too long ago who thought that the path to success was what you talked about, writing a book in three weeks. You know, I got to publish four to six books a year in order to get there. And she got burned out. And the books were getting, the books started to reflect that. You know, endings got cut a little short and different things. And so she got this, this feedback from editors. And so what she decided to do is she decided to go back to writing um, two books a year. And then filling in the gaps with a pen name in a different genre where people just crank out books all the time. And so she slowed down a little bit, took a deep breath, and she's back on the track to really get there probably by this year. So it just depends, and I hate to say that depends because that's not a good answer, but it depends on the author and how well they write, how fast they write, how much income they can generate right away to be able to 
pump that money back into marketing their books. Um, sometimes it's just like a business and you know how that goes because you've been involved in a lot of businesses. You have to keep pouring money into that business to begin with until it reaches that tipping point. And then all of a sudden it generates enough income so that you can both pour money into marketing and live on it as well. Yeah, I, I will draw an analogy uh, between the business world and the writing world. The example that you gave, and I was actually chatting with someone the other day who has who's working on his fourth book in a series and hasn't released any of them yet. So he's 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 going to try that strategy of yours. I mean, that's a little bit like spending three years developing a software product and then releasing it and finding out you got it wrong, which happens all the time. So in the yeah. tech world now, there's the idea of the minimum viable product. You You just get it out there and see if there's a market for it and then develop and iterate based on the feedback from your clients. We had a guest on a few weeks ago, Annie Belay, who writes sort of a supernatural series. And, and what, what worked for her was having two books ready and being like halfway through the third before she started the series. Um, she's sort of recommending that to people now. But again, that's still, for most of us, that's, that's a big time investment to write two and a half books and have them ready to go without knowing whether or not there's a, there's a market for it. So uh, there are plus and, pluses and minuses to, to that kind of a strategy. But, you know, writing a book and then publishing the, the follow-up a year later, um, probably not the best strategy either for an indie author. You know, the, the, good, the good points of that strategy you just talked about are that if you, publish, if you write, let's say, three books before you publish or a series, if that's your thing, the good thing about that is you not only get the income from all the books, but if the books are good, whoever reads the first will read the second and so on. And it starts an income stream. But the other thing is that when you write, when you release three books or more at one time, you automatically have a built-in lead magnet. Uh, three months down the road. You can set that, you can start running that first book for free and use it as an email list builder. There's a lot of other things that come along when you have multiple books already out there. Now, it's not that you can't do it if you only have one book, but I, I know, I know it's slower. It's just slower that way. So the more books you can have before you get out there, I think the better off you're going to be if you can hold off. You know, yes, so. and and if you have uh, if if you're getting enough feedback to know that the books you're writing are good enough, yes, and and will will have a market. Let's let's talk for a little bit about you know we've we've talked a little bit about the the level one authors and and I'll, I'll just use your terms. Let's let's talk about level two authors. Say a, a level two author who is using Facebook pretty efficiently. Uh, they've got an author page. They've got a, a personal profile. Um, they, they, they have a following there. Um, is, is that a good time to look at expanding into another social media platform or should we take the approach almost like you're describing with the books? Should we shotgun, you know, to four different social media platforms at one time, right? When we're starting and, and try and establish a, a platform there, how should, how should we, how should we build our social media presence? Oh, that's a great question, Steve, because if you asked me that question 10 years ago, I would have said, oh, definitely get on everything right now because everything's new. If you can get in there and be an early adopter, you're going to have a great audience. It's really going to work well for you. But 10 years later, when we have mm -hmm. this fire hose of noise that is just awful and every major social media platform now has an algorithm that 
I bless is more is the motto now. Um, my approach, and you probably know this, to social media is I only recommend that authors go on social media channels where they can actually sell books. Because I think that there are there's some social media channels out mm-hmm. there that are built for selling. There's commerce tools built in. And then there are social media platforms that are not built for selling, but every author seems they need to be on. And so I, I am strategic in that, in that kind of a recommendation. I want you to figure, to go through the process of finding your audience first, seeing where they are, and then matching that up with social media platforms that you can handle. There's a lot to that because, you know, everybody wants to be on Twitter and Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but I'm not a, I love Twitter, but I'm a nonfiction writer, a curator. It's a big difference. Um, A lot of authors think they, fiction authors think they have to be on Twitter and I just think it's a waste of time. Um, The only people that I think should be on Twitter are people that love Twitter because those people will actually do the work that it takes to be successful there. They're making connections. They're building relationships. They're they're in real time all the time. People like my daughter who just love it. They're just there. But then there are others that are just using Twitter just to say, please buy my book. Here's my book cover. Um, My book's on special this week. Please buy my book. And that is just, it's it's white noise. It's not going to build a following. It's not going to do anything. So for my clients, if they're fiction people, I, I tell them, I have an alternative strategy for Twitter for fiction authors, and that's using it as, a, as an outpost just for search. So um, I think authors feel pressured to be on social media channels they don't have any business being on. And Twitter's not the only one. There's some others out there, too, that I think you really have to think twice, that you really got to love this social media stuff in order to spread yourself out because you can hit your audience pretty well on Facebook. And unless you're a YA writer and then you really or a nonfiction writer, then you really want to look closely at maybe some other platforms. And like what? Which which other well, platforms? Well, YA, YA people should be on Instagram and they should at least be following Tumblr because Tumblr is loaded and YouTube. They should be following YouTube because um, those those platforms are loaded with YA book reviewers. That's where they hang out. Um, and for nonfiction people, LinkedIn is a must. You have to be, unless you're like an historical writer, but if you've got a business side to your, to your social, you know, to your writing as a nonfiction writer, you have to be on LinkedIn. I mean, Twitter would be a lot better bet for you too as a, as a secondary channel. If if you're a YA author, you mentioned YouTube as, as something you might want to consider and help me understand why, or not so much why, but how are are you saying that they should be out there uh, creating videos or are you saying that, that we should be following these YA, uh, what these booktubers and, and communicating with them? Yes. I, I don't think that you're going to get any cred with the with the with the YouTubers, if you are not on YouTube, so I think that people who have um, that are YA people might want to seriously consider setting up a channel okay. on YouTube because anybody can do live video anymore. Yes. and I just think you know 
I have thousands of dollars invested in video equipment from my former, you know, jobs and stuff. And I now I just use my iPhone. So it's it's so easy to do video anymore. And you can do a lot of different things besides do book trailers. You can do interviews. You can do podcasts. You can do a lot of things there. But I think the credibility of being on a channel in order to break in and start networking with other people that are on that channel, there's a lot to be said for that. And so um, YouTube is one of the, as a matter of fact, in that AOL platform survey that I talk about a lot, YouTube is one of the best channels for selling out there. So if you have a penchant for video um, and you're, you're a YA person or you just like video, that might be a really good place to be just for searchability. And, and that's the other thing too about Twitter is that you need to have a profile there for searchability, but you don't necessarily need to tweet. And that's a whole nother podcast, but that there is some truth to that. And so, yes, to make a long story short, you should probably be on YouTube subscribing to those YA reviewers. You should be on Tumblr subscribing to those blogs and commenting, you know, and establishing some credibility there, because then over time, you know, you might be able to approach some of these YA reviewers and, and, uh, get your book reviewed on their blogs. So. Yeah, and, and it's, it is, if you decide you're going to start doing video, like I did with, with this podcast, um, a few, a, a few months ago, um, it, first off, we don't always do the podcast as, as a video because some people are uncomfortable being on video and it, it does require some preparation. But the, the other thing to note is that it's not an instant path to glory. I mean, the, the Ninety-five percent of the people that watch or the, that consume this episode will consume it as audio only via podcast, and right. you know maybe five percent will see it on YouTube or on Facebook as a video. And I, you know, that's true of any social media platform. I think that we join. There's always this slow process towards building relationships and building, you know, building it into a. It, an integral part of your of your author platform, and it's really easy to get discouraged early on if you post something on Facebook and nobody likes it, or only three people like it, or it's just your mother and your sister like it. Uh, you know the same the same with video. If you if you spend all the time to create a video and no one watches it, it can be discouraging. I've seen some fantastic videos out there that have like five views. Well, and this is probably a good place to mention that when I say it's a good idea to be on YouTube, it's only a good idea to be there if you've got the time and the energy mm -hmm. and the drive to be there regularly. That's the same with blogging. It's this, It's especially true with Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have to make a commitment to what the channel requires for engagement. And that's one of the things that a lot of authors don't understand is each channel has engagement requirements. And what I mean by that is there's a culture that's built in every social media channel that that dictates these sort of unwritten rules of engagement. In other words, this is what you need to do to really be effective here. Mm -hmm. And if you're not committed to doing that, don't go there. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Because we can follow YouTubers and we can mm -hmm. follow people on Tumblr just by going there and clicking on that subscribe button. And just to keep on top of what's going on. And, and But I think one of the biggest 
jumping back to YA just for a second, because YA is the trickiest genre that I've worked in. Um, I think one of the things that YA authors can do to really help themselves is just network with other YA authors in, in, in forums and things like that, because that's a really good group of authors that is good at helping each other promote each other. And so I think you have to do that there. Okay. You've mentioned Tumblr a couple times. I know what Tumblr is. Uh, but I've I've never used it. I I don't understand how I would use it. So how would I, as an author, use Tumblr? Let's let's say I'm a YA author or any kind of an author who's who's interested in in using Tumblr. What would I do? Well, Tumblr obviously is a free blogging platform, mm-hmm. and one of the things you have to do with any social media platform is you have to have a goal going in. So what do you want to accomplish on Tumblr? Do you want to validate your expertise? Do you want to gain the eye of influencers. You know, what? what's your goal in being there? If it's just search and follow and comment, that's a worthy goal. I don't think you necessarily have to blog to be there. But I think one thing you will recognize, if, for instance, if you're a YA author on Tumblr, mm-hmm. is if you follow the YA reviewers that are very much there, you start to hear your audience talking. And that is the most, that's the most valuable part of being on Tumblr and YouTube is these people that are reviewing those books are the people that you want to sell your books to. Mm -hmm. And you listen to their pain points. You listen to what they like. You listen to their language. And you've got to get in that world. You've got to get inside that world in order to be able to communicate to them. And I always, like I caution YA writers who are my age (laughs) or maybe not YA age, um, you can't talk like you when you're out there, you know, and you can't, you have to remember that there's a lingo, there's a language, there's a culture of behavior on every social media channel that you kind of want to figure out how to honor. And I think with young, with YA people, listening is the big thing to begin with, because that is one audience that you don't want to butt into. You don't want to butt into the YA audience because they're very protective of their of their culture and they don't like outsiders. So you got to be an insider, I think. And so that's kind of that nutshell. Okay. There. And and with Tumblr, is it like other social media platforms where it's an outpost and and we are not only building relationships and communicating people with people and learning what their interests are, are we also trying to drive them back to our website so they can sign up for our email lists? Through Tumblr? I'm not sure that Tumblr's the greatest place to do that. Okay. To me, t- Tumblr's an outpost like Twitter. So okay. unless you're a YA writer, then you kind of have to feel your way through it. A lot of it will depend on your books and if anybody's actually reading them. Um, that There's a lot of you know contingencies, and I hate to just throw that up because people think like, oh, well, you could say that about anything. But, you know, you do have to be – when you go to a party, <laughs> you don't just walk into a big cocktail party to use our age lingo and start just blurring out and butting into little, you know, groups of people and taking over the conversation and doing all this stuff. You have to figure out the culture of this party. How are these people communicating? Which groups are open to listening? Which groups can I go and kind of listen to and then maybe offer a comment? It's it's a lot like that and I think you just have to remember that like you don't you can use Twitter but you don't have to tweet. You can use Tumblr, but you don't have to blog every day like a lot of the YA people do. So it's, it's just, a, I think, going back to what I said earlier, it's that goal. Why are you mm-hmm. there? What do you want to accomplish? Because that will dictate your workload. You know, I mean, if you want to be a big Tumblr star, uh-huh. you've, you've got <laughs> a lot of work ahead of you because that is a very um, culturized platform. Mm-hmm. 
there it's niche and you really have to work to break into those circles. So you you always have to start out there listening and watching. Okay. And and one last piece of advice that I'll ask for with regard to social media, the exploding number of social media platforms that are out there. While I, I can I can see that it makes sense for us to not always jump feet first into things as soon as they uh come online. Is it a good practice to just go out and reserve whatever your name is and just have a presence there? I know for me, whenever something comes out, I, all of my social media platforms are S. Campbell, Steve Campbell FL. And so as soon as something comes out, I go out and just put that in there so I have it just in case it explodes and it's the next big thing. 95% of the time it's not, but I do it. Is that a, is that a waste of time or a good idea? Well, first of all, I think you have to decide, you have to take a look at the platform and, and does it pique your interest? Everything piques look, my does, interest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, squirrel. <laughs> You're that guy. Yes. Huh? Okay. Um, it's, uh, I think that I want to make sure that that on something like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, mm-hmm. I have certainly re, you know reserved my name because you can't get it once somebody else has it. Right. Um, but when it comes to things like let's say Periscope mm-hmm. or Snapchat or something like that, I I tell people not to worry about it unless the, unless it really catches their eye and they'd like to experiment a little bit with it because I love experimenting. I mean, I was one of the first I, – I helped one of the first universities get on Snapchat back when Snapchat came out. And everybody in, my, in our world was yelling, oh, Snapchat's a terrible platform. It's where people bully. Don't use Snapchat. It's terrible. Don't go there. And I just kept pushing my client you know, to get better at it. And finally, we won an award for one of the Snapchat campaigns that we ran. And people now look at it. I mean, now it's really something and brands are there and everybody's trying to get the millennial audience and blah, 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 blah. You know, that that is a place where I would say I would experiment if it looks to me like it'd really be fun to do. And if it if it gets to be time consuming, I know Michael Hyatt did Periscope for he did a 30 day experiment. Yes, with that it, was, was fascinating there, to watch. Yes, where he was on there every day. And he finally decided after it was over with. This is just too time-consuming for me, and so now he doesn't do it anymore. And I think I think one of the reasons he quit was that it was too time-consuming for his audience as well. Because if if we follow people, and th- and this is true for authors, there are certain authors that I just want to consume what they what they write. If they write blog posts or if they're on podcasts, I I want to listen. I want to read it. If they're producing content four times a day, it's overwhelming. <laughs> No, and I agree totally. And I think I have those same top shelf people, Steve. Mm-hmm. That no matter what, that Jay Bayer is one for me. I yes, don't care he's, what he's he, wonderful. I don't care what he. I follow him on Snapchat. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, it's just so. But we all have that half dozen or ten people that we just can't do without. Um, but I think you have to realize that unless you're one of those ten people, <laughs> for, you know, you may not want to dedicate so much time to that platform. And I, I've got. I was on Periscope. We mm-hmm. used Periscope for a book launch one time with an author client and and I just now it's Facebook live so I'm taking advantage of that to see if that sticks at all um, and then the other thing for us you know marketing people's we just want to know what's going on there so that we right. can help other people make decisions but if you're one of those people that loves to experiment and throw stuff against the wall I think that's great my biggest problem with that in some respects is how much time do you have to devote to do that yes is it time that would be better spent maybe 
pouring some more time into Facebook marketing or doing, you know, maybe building your email list. And so I'm not trying to discourage people, but the bottom line is, you know, I have those big three. I, I say every single author has to have a website, an author Facebook page and be building an email list. After that, for fiction people. After that, everything else is optional in my book. Okay, let's talk and, about this. is a great uh, jumping off point to a blog post that you published yesterday. We're recording this on May 4th. On May 3rd, you wrote a post called Three List Building Essentials, which I will I, – th- I think that's the title. I may have had it wrong, but I'll link to it in the show notes. Let's talk about that for a minute because it's, it's, it was targeted directly at fiction authors and some really good common sense advice – for building your list beyond the obvious things that we see on Facebook all the time, you know, they do do this and you'll you'll build your list. You had you had some other interesting things on there. Well, I think that email list building is one of those things right now with authors that is really confusing. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the information and classes right now that are available for list building are really aimed at level 2 and 3 authors. So the level one authors trying to do stuff they shouldn't be doing. A lot of level one authors are trying to do things with list building that they really can't. And so they're, they're running up against walls. Um, in those three essential things, I just think it's important that authors understand that they need the biggest of those three for me is the third one, which is location, location, location. And that is when you when you get your sign up for your free MailChimp account or if you're paying or have AWeber or whatever, make sure that your sign-up form is everywhere because a sign-up form is not an invasive marketing tool. It's not something that you have to constantly tweet out. It's really an opportunity for people to sign up when they want to sign up. So whether it's on your website, your email signature, and in the blog post, I went into a number of different places that you should have that sign-up form. You need to what what we call in marketing, optimize that or just make sure that everything's set up so that you can sell the most books or okay. get the most email lists. Let's, let's say I'm setting up my website today. Where should I put that form? Well, the form, I'm going to give you two options on your website. The, the first one is it should, uh, when we talk about what you see on your phone screen, your computer screen or whatever, when you go to that website, we call that anything that's above the fold. It's an old newspaper term. So your sign-up needs to be somewhere above the fold um, where people can see it. If, you, um, if you're one of those people that doesn't like pop-ups, you probably don't want to use one. But I use, I use Lightbox forms, pop-up forms, because they work. <laughs> they convert higher. Um, but I, I always set them for at least 15 seconds or more in so that people don't get bombarded with a pop-up right away when they come to my website. But if you have a, a tab form on your website where you have a tab where you might run Amazon affiliate ads or whatever, um, that uh, that form should also be over there because and embedded so that it's visual so that people see it on every page of your website that they're on there's always an option there and the other place that I put it pretty frequently is on the bottom of a blog post if you're a blogger and you have your blog on your website but those are the three mandatory things I think that you need to have you need to have something above the fold on the landing page something in the tab that repeats on every page and on the bottom of all your pages whether you have a blog or not right because presumably so if, if if it's a blog post someone has read all the way to the bottom they enjoyed what you had that's a great place to ask for them to sign up and get more information let's let's dig a little bit deeper into pop-ups because 
We all hate them. But there are ways to make them less invasive. Well, I use AWeber. And so AWeber gives you some options for pop-ups. Some of them are light boxes, which means it's transparency over your, your landing page, which are less invasive. And also, I found out from AWeber, are less likely to get blocked by ad blockers. Because a lot of pop-ups anymore, they're, they're considered ads. And so that if you're using an ad blocker, they, your sign-up form won't, won't work. So, But I think pop-ups, the one thing that, I, that you want to remember is you need to be offering something of value in order to instigate a pop-up on your website. Something that piques interest, that, that reaches a need for your audience, um, and just popping up please sign up for my email list is not going to work. I think that that's, that's just white noise. But um, the other thing is, too, is make sure that you set, set it so that it doesn't pop up right away. I know in some of the advanced uh, marketing platforms, you can actually set it up so that it pops up right as people are leaving the page. And so there's a lot of you know ways, and I think the best way to find out about that, Steve, is actually just to Google the subject because there's tons of great things out there from companies like HubSpot and Buffer and Aweber and Mailchimp and others that will actually school you on how to use pop-ups well and run some tests. I mean, if you're, yes. if you're curious, because I've I've done the tests, and for it, it's really interesting because I have a number of different sites, and on the AuthorBiz website, the pop-up converted less effectively than just the um, the sign-up form on the, the top right and at the bottom of all the posts. Uh, but every other website, the pop-up converted more effectively. So I'm, I'm not sure why. I think it's probably the nature of the listeners to this show. Uh, they just don't want to be bothered with pop-ups. So I took that out on that site, but on my other sites, I, I still have pop-ups. Now, if, if you were to put a pop-up on your website for something that was coming up on like May 15th, what would that pop-up tell people about? Well, first off, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) But that's my subtle way of giving you a chance to tell people about a, a free webinar that you're doing. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah, no, I do have a free webinar coming up on the 15th of May, and they will, if you go to my website and keep, or keep an eye on my Facebook page, you'll see information about that coming up. A quick post-production note on that free webinar. It's actually May 17th at noon Mountain Time. So again, that's May 17th at noon Mountain Time. You'll find a link to the webinar in the show notes. Because I'm starting a monthly webinar series, and I'm just going to give away the first one for free. Um, but let me let me talk a little bit about how I would do that. Okay. And the webinar is going to be actually on this subject. It's about email list building oh, okay. strategies. But it's going to be more how-to, practical things like how you can set up an autoresponder sequence, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of things, which is another thing that's really important to do. But for something like that, Steve, I would actually use a landing page. Okay. As as opposed to a pop-up because those convert better for events than pop-ups do. So um, I would use a, I, I have lead pages and Insta pages both because I experiment with both of them. And I would just put together a landing page. And most websites, actually, you can do that as well. You can set a page on your website to be the first page that people go to. And then you just have a little click off there so that they can go where they want to go if they don't want to see the info. But I would set up a landing page, um, and I will, um, promoting that free webinar so that when people come to the website, they land there first. And if they don't want that information, they just go keep going on through to the site. 
Okay, and we will actually link to that free webinar in the show notes, so you'll you'll give me that link. You mentioned your website. What's the URL? Uh, the URL is the same as my Twitter handle, and that is cksime.com. And that's S-Y-M-E. I will link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, thank you so much for being here. This, is, this has been delightful and very educational. Well, great, Steve. I'm glad I could help, and it's been fun. It's always fun to talk to people online. <laughs>